Hey, Melody. Hey, Peter. What's up, Drew? Hey. Welcome to How College Works. Uh, today, we have a guest. Guest, please introduce yourself. Hello, I am Kevin Roundtree. I'm a professor of philosophy. So <laughs> glad to join you guys. Thanks for, thanks for coming in. So, I, Kevin, I asked you to come here today uh, because I like wasting your time. <laughs> 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 at the end of our semester, <laughs> and more importantly, though, um, you and I have had some conversations about like what it means to have a liberal arts education. Like, what does what does that mean to us as a faculty, or in general, what does that mean? Uh, and that's what I wanted to talk about today. Is like, what does it mean to have a liberal arts education? What's, before we before you get too deep, what, I knew it. I knew it was coming. Yeah, what what are my other choices? Am I am I if I, I let's say I finish K twelve, I am accepted into college. Do I have choices other than liberal arts education? It depends on your definition, I think. Okay, I, I would say a clear distinction would be I'll, a I'll vocational. Take my answer offline. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a clear distinction would be a vocational college. Oh, okay. technical okay. college. And those, or or a school which is focused on getting a certification of some kind. So those are maybe I might generalize those as professional colleges or professional degrees or certifications. Those would certainly be different than a liberal arts education. And that I think is a clear distinction. Anybody else? Uh, no. <laughs> and and liberal arts is not all or none. There are vastly different visions of this thing now. And if I were in a judgmental mode, I'd say you can choose between weak quasi-liberal arts and maybe the real thing. <laughs> the true liberal arts and then the diluted <laughs> liberal arts. Right, because um, at my institution, which is not a liberal arts institution, you know, it's considered like a a mid-sized state, blah, 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 R2, I think. We have the liberal arts core, mm -hmm. which is kind of like our gen ed classes, but they call it the LAC. Oh, the liberal arts core. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Well, and that, I think that sort of touches on something which I found interesting when I was in uh, grad school and as a postdoc, I ran into um, colleagues, other grad students and professors, but I mostly talked with the other grad students who went to high school, college, and maybe even graduate school in Europe. And that system seemed very different than what I was familiar with, having gone to undergraduate, where they are tracked into various uh, programs, like relatively early, you know, in, in the high school or coming into high school, they get into a, a business track or a science track or an art track. And then they're ability to, to take classes um, certainly far outside those tracks. So what, one person I know, um, Tommy, shout out to Tommy, uh, he's Scottish. And so he played flute when he was younger. But as he went into the science track, as Tommy's a astronomy PhD, uh, he, the, the ability, the option to, to play flute sort of in college basically wasn't there unless you had to work really, really hard at it. Whereas I majoring in physics, but I went into college, I could have very easily played in a, the band or the wind ensemble in college. And so that sort of keeping those options broad and, and requiring the breadth in the, in the core 
to me makes me makes me think from my perspective that most of what we would call colleges or universities in the general sense, not, not a vocational, uh, which we often think of differently, in the United States really are at heart a liberal arts institution because of the required breadth. Whereas it seemed to me that the institutions in, in, in Europe were much more focused in on a single subject. I like it. I want to hear what, what Kevin has to say about it, because, um, you know, obviously I have my thoughts, but they're, they're my thoughts. Can we that actually kind of define what we're talking about? Oh, so define a liberal art, yeah. So, yeah, because yeah, we have not defined it at all. Well, and, and this, this, I think, is part of the problem. Um, a lot of times when I hear reference to liberal arts, it's typically just with little descriptions like, well, a liberal arts course of study is broad and well-rounded. And a lot of times I find myself thinking, what in the world does that actually mean? Uh -huh. And you can have broad, you could even have what somebody might call well-rounded and none of it be actually integrated. That is, people might not have much ability to, to relate across different fields or disciplines, in which case I don't want to call it liberal arts. I'm not sure what you've got other than just a hodgepodge. Um, <laughs> part, of, part of the problem in this country, I tend to think, is that so much of earlier school, but especially I'll just focus on high school, has a tendency to become sort of anemic liberal arts, and then college or university liberal arts, which ought to be really serious, fundamental learning across, across a foundation that you then could relate everything to everything else, that students have already been through enough bad, almost liberal arts education that they're sick and tired of all that stuff, and then they just want other stuff. So they want to go into the cafeteria of courses and just take other stuff. And lots of educators are willing to say, hey, that's broad, and they're even willing to call it well-rounded, and the students can't even figure out what it adds up to. So first, I'm just on the negative side of how undefined I think this thing has become. That's probably not helpful. <laughs> but, but I think anybody ought to be a little bit disturbed with some of this. I think we have trouble figuring out what in the world we're doing. So if I, if I understand you right, when, um, uh, so if I go to take a liberal arts course as part of my package, it would be, uh, a, let's say a math course. And I want to be able to come out of that course, able to apply the mathematics I've just learned in all pieces of my, of my life and my other courses. And how does this apply to my biology? How does this apply to my lab science and my music course and my art history? How does it apply to uh, poli sci and whatever? Is that, is that what you mean by it? it? It is at least in the neighborhood. That is, everything ought to be conceptually related to everything else. Now, am I going to apply tons of mathematics in every other area? No, but I ought to be mathematically engaged enough that if I'm off working in one area, I never, I never clock out on appropriate arithmetical thinking. And I'm just thinking arithmetic and proportionality. Mm -hmm. I see people who supposedly are critical readers and they don't realize that a decimal point is missing in some figure that shows up in an article or an editorial. And, and so they're believing absolute hogwash because the number, and I'm actually thinking a definite example in which the number should have been 3.54 billion, 
but it was misprinted as 354 billion on a population estimate on planet Earth, you know, <laughs> down the line. And I had I had students at a major university, only one of whom ever caught that that thing was a typo. And they were believing something that was just nonsense because they had clocked out just on the most basic mathematics. So in it, so it, this seems to be coming a lot, what we talk about, a well-rounded individual or a sort of a, I mean, at the highest level, we would call this a renaissance person, someone who can excel or operate in many different fields, usually what that's supposed to mean. So can we, can we, uh, what is the word liberal supposed to mean here? I'm, I'm seeing it with not a capital L uh, in my head. And, <laughs> and I think that that, it's easy for that to get in the way, but maybe that's just my own perception of somebody else is going to read liberal arts and think, oh, well, can I take a conservative arts? Yeah. Or, or and, like liberal sciences, you know, like how does that, do, do the words mean, or am I reading too much into it? I would go with the root meaning. It's from Liber, Liberty, and my understanding, and this is, this is something I haven't looked at closely enough in some regards for quite a while, but my understanding is you want to really connect it to the idea of liberty, of freedom. And this has an aristocratic background, is my understanding, hmm. that that naming, it's not referring to you know, a political bent or something to that effect. Hmm. It has to do with free people and with especially aristocrats. The first liberal arts were the studies of free people for the purpose of them being able not only to lead their own well-rounded and focused life, but to bring them to the possibility of becoming genuinely good leaders, those who could oversee vast issues and figure out how to integrate and apply the knowledge that they had. That's the first angle I'd run on the liberal side. Also run it, run it to the, the sense of liberality, you know, relating over even to generosity, a superabundance of learning for the sake of a free person guiding their own life and making a genuine contribution. And I think that is from an aristocratic background, which is kind of a stuffy, disturbing thing. But, but in some ways, the American version of this, I think is an inspiring thing because at least at times, Americans aspired for what would have been seen as only available or possible for more aristocratic people. They saw that being available and something worth striving for, even for the common person. I like that. Me too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm all inspired right now. Whole <laughs> <laughs> lot, whole lot. When we first talked about liberal arts as a topic, 15 seconds ago, um, <laughs> no, before the recording, uh, I'm thinking of like, truly, what are my choices for liberal arts? I, or aside from. Did we lose you? No, I'm still connected. Oh, oh you're back. Right. Okay, you're back. okay. <laughs> um, what was I saying? Oh, so liberal arts, fine arts, what about the great books courses? Is that, is that a thing? Uh, potentially, yes. And I don't know how, how experts in the field would divide this. But there might be some appropriate dividing between classical higher education and somewhat later developments that tended to be called liberal arts. I tend to connect them pretty strongly together, but some of what followed the earlier forms of classical higher ed, the classical sort of elite education, 
had a tendency to remove some things. It certainly, as you came out of the medieval university going more toward Renaissance humanism and beyond, sort of after the Reformation, what had been a sort of focal high point in, not just in philosophy, but in theology, the theological was largely removed as, as something that they would leave to the individual. Conceptually, that may have done some pretty serious damage at times. Others would say, no, it just freed it up from, from doctrine. Um, different ways you could run on that. But the great books approach, I think, is still a really potentially useful approach. Guys that I studied with in grad school who came out of that kind of background, in some regards, I would say, were the best on-their-toes thinker on their toes thinkers for negotiating across different boundaries of learning. I would, I would say in listening about this and thinking about it, I think the great, it sounds like when treated properly, right? When you're really engaged with what people are saying, like the reason I suspect these were called great books is because they had kernels or large you know, amounts of critical thinking that should be required of the reader to fully engage with them. And in that sense, I think that's really valuable and important. Um, does that mean that there aren't more modern works that could provide that kind of engagement? No, I've, you can probably find them. It might take you a little bit more effort to, to do that. Does it mean that they're going to have sort of the content knowledge for other things aside from sort of that philosophical or that sort of literary aspect. So if you talk about, you know, the arithmetic or you can talk about like biological sciences or some of these other social sciences in order, because my philosophy, I guess, of, of liberal arts is this well-rounded, able to engage in any aspect of my or, or my students' lives or my students to engage in their lives, you know, that they are not going to find themselves, um, faced with a situation where they don't have the tools to handle it and ideally excel at it. And so that sort of flexibility in thinking and, and being able to take a question or address it and sort of really dig into it and, and treat it uh, well, I think is, is foundational and important. And then we also need to, to sort of connect that with arithmetic ability, understanding of, you know, the basis basics of biology or physics or social sciences or psychology so that I can take this flexible, sharp reasoning and then apply it to watching an ad on TV. Like do these numbers actually add up uh, in terms of a commercial or something like that? And, or picking a mechanic, picking a mechanic, <laughs> you know, like where my actual, the rubber meets the road in my life, you know, can I actually make these informed decisions? And it does take drawing from, far more places than we usually think of you know, because we've done sounds like you're if i can cut you off <laughs> yes please do so stop me sounds like you're you're describing that the end uh, goal of an of a liberal arts education is to have a uh, a, a high quality functioning citizen yes in my philosophy or perspective yes yes for what that means and for me that means that across a wide variety of disciplines, they have a, a novice, an engaged novice level of, of understanding. 
versus versus the role of education where I go to uh, per se a, a trade school and learn a trade or fine arts and learn to become a performer and I'm most of my studies focused on that performance of instrument or whatever right and that's yeah this is not to say that one is more or less valuable they have a different uh, intent on what the outcome should be you go to a trade school to be a mechanic you should come out of there being a fantastic mechanic and they have set up front that's what the goal is is to take mm -hmm. these classes become an awesome mechanic go out there and get a job uh, yeah we're just, and, we're just giving our definition of, of liberal arts so yeah 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 send yes. the hate mail to to <laughs> don't at me i'm saying it's fine yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> does that sort of match with, I mean, so I guess there's another question for you, Kevin, is that is there, as a, as a philosopher, is there a better or a worse, like is a liberal arts education like what somebody should be shooting for or is like, or versus a trade school or vocational technical college versus you know, my perspective of a European traditional education, is there somehow from a philosophical perspective a better or, or less or like different, like, you know, intrinsic worth to these. I, great. Well, question. I want. I want. I'm sorry. It's a great question, Pete. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> it's it's a very good question. I, what I really would wish for American students, and I'm just thinking this country because this is where I'm most familiar, is that, in essence, they would get better education right from the start. And that some of the things that we associate with, with the fundamentals or ought to associate with the fundamentals of a liberal arts education, which would be what the medievals thought of as the first three areas of learning. They were the practical functioning zones. You, you really understood the nature of, catch this one, Melody, of grammar. Yeah. Grammar and vocabulary and vocabularies extending over into different fields as you're learning going up through grade school. You got to have the grammatical base. Then you've got to have some real schooling in dialectic or logic. And logic is where I would really run next. And I think the third was was along the lines of rhetoric, but don't just take that as as spinning words to sound more or less appealing, but really getting a sense of how to put things together. In a functional sense, there is no reason that I can see why a kid cannot get pretty refined, fundamental grammar into place, and I'm going to be arbitrary. In some ways, by the time they're sort of 10, 11, 12, mm -hmm. by the time they're 12, 13, 14, most kids have enough abstract ability that they can start to do logic in a genuinely productive fashion and start to become increasingly careful and critical. Mm -hmm. And before they're out of high school, they ought to be getting a sense of how to put these things together. And I wish high school was concluded about the time you're 16 years old. You go back and you look at the histories of normal people who went off to Cambridge and Oxford and wherever. And so often they're headed there when they're 16 or 15 or 14. And it's not because they were geniuses. They just, they just were ready and off they go. We have this sort of prolonged childhood called high school, which just, backfires for a huge portion of the population. Those fundamental parts of liberal arts education really ought to be significantly, significantly delivered to every student who has any normal capacity at all.
Hmm. And, and some smattering of the categories. And, and here I'm just, I think I just echo what, what Peter was largely saying about, you know, kind of healthy novice in a variety of areas. And perhaps the first stages of liberal arts education ought to just really go toward deepening that further, broadening that further, building on what's already there, getting it well into place before you go launching off into yeah. your major. But it ought to be on a continuum. It shouldn't be that somebody who's going off to vocational school um, is not going to get get the rudiments of this. That then then you have somebody who's not fit to vote. Mm. Yeah, that's so good. To, I mean, so I think that that grammar in particular has been that territory is is covered, and the pendulum in K twelve swings back and forth. We're we're but what's missing quite a bit, I think, in K twelve is logic. Mm -hmm. I think that is the by far the the biggest area you mentioned that's lacking. And I want to hear what Melody thinks. Oh, I was just thinking about how I almost say every day how my students, my college age students have a hard time, like just regular problem solving. Yes. Yeah, so and, gr like, and grammatical functioning? <laughs> uh, it's okay. I mean, <laughs> I mean, they have, I mean, they get by, right? Like, okay. <laughs> In terms of communication, for the most part, they can communicate what they need to in speech or in writing. Um, but, you know, if they were going to be published, they'd be in a little more. I think it's worth mentioning here that when, when you're talking about, I like that you mentioned those three was grammar, logic, and rhetoric in, uh -huh. in, in a specialized definition of rhetoric, not a the actual definition yes, of rhetoric. Yes, yes, right. um, I like that. And keeping in mind that you know, the universities in the medieval times were studying beginning in Latin and then in vernacular. And today's American universities are serving a large, you know, diverse population of language background and whatever. And grammar has become a different beast than it was in 1150 when Sorbonne was created. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And our, as you say, a diverse background, which is like the people going to Oxford and Cambridge at 16 were landed gentry who were tutored from a young age on a one-on-one. -on -one. It's very different than the K-12 education. Like just, there are some fundamental differences in the way this education is delivered and to whom it is delivered. Which and that's the back and forth debate yeah. uh, or, or a piece of that back and forth debate is saying, you know, in the 1600s, when they landed in this country, they, they, uh, uh, it, it kind of kicked off or began not exactly that year, uh, this public education thing that was new. Right. Well, I have to walk to my final. So I'm gonna have to <laughs> but just on a final note in terms of like grammar, because I've taught a formal grammar class and what I always um, talk to my students about whenever we start that class is I'm like, well, it's like a puzzle. It's like problem solving. And I do feel like that knowing grammar and knowing how things go together also makes me question and inquisitive. I'm like, well, why is that like that and this like this? And so then I'm doing research about, well, what's the root of this word? And why is, why does it take this form when it's an adjective, but this form when it's a noun? And so there are, I mean, yeah, you can definitely immerse it and kind of get a lot out of it if it's like more than just like copy editing, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, on that note, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Melody. All right, I'll talk to you guys later. Yeah, Take good, care. Good luck Bye. to your students on the final. Okay. <laughs> I want to come back to something that Melody said there about like so the curiosity is like, why is it this form in the adjective and this form in, in the knowledge form? And this reminds me of something that my wife has said about basically all, all 
she and I and most of our friends uh, that are with us, that we have a high contact with these days, we went to graduate school with. So most of us, or at least one pers person in the couple that we're friends with, has a PhD or has done all the work for a PhD. And one of the things that she's pointed out, there's like one consistency among this population of people, which is that we are really curious. We want to understand why things work. And you know, sometimes for those of, for the, those of us who are on the, like the hard science side, like we figured out at one point how the Wii remote works because it was getting buggy. And so we did this whole bunch of like hour of experimentation in this, somebody's living room and figure out, oh, this is what's going on. Mm -hmm. But we can't do that. We'd have, no, we'd have no ability to do that if we didn't have this, this sort of liberal arts background is that this the liberal arts this broad and and a little bit deep in these different areas allows you to exercise your curiosity to not just say hey that's interesting i wonder why that that works and you just walk away but say hey why is that and then to and be able it, to do something about it and to somebody who had maybe had a super focused education that we remote would be magic Basically, yeah. And, yeah, and the, just, the question wouldn't even pop up. It would just be like, oh, it stopped working. I guess I buy a new one. Right, right. Or it's buggy or it's whatever. And then your options are live with it or replace it or stop using it. Right. Fixing is, is, does, is not an option. So now we're back to freedom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so it's before, one of the things that I've spoken with with some of my colleagues in teaching a interdisciplinary course where we had, and I think I mentioned this on the podcast before, we taught a, a one credit half, half semester long course where with a physicist, a computer scientist, uh, anthropologist, uh, uh, our, our dance professor and one of our English lit professors and all five of us. I'm already in. Let me register for that right now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so all, and I tried to get Kevin, but Kevin was busy. Yeah. <laughs> so, and tired. And, and, we're, and we're like, so let's, let's talk. We, uh, we called it the beauty course because each one of us talked about what does it mean to be beautiful or in my case, elegant within our different disciplines. Like what does that mean? And so you can bring all of this together. And one of the things that, I said, and I said to the students, is like, well, why are we teaching this course? It's, it's because having contact with all my colleagues and learning a little bit from all these different fields makes my world at this richer, but also smaller. There is less, of, less in the world of the world that I live in that is unknown and scary. There is far more of the world that I live in that is beautiful and interesting and engaging because of the breadth of knowledge that I have. And that sounds like a fascinating course. Did you record it? Uh, I have materials from it. If you're, if you're interested, I can send them to you. Can we get the links, please? Yes, that sounds fascinating. So, I mean, and that, I mean, to me, that course was the best example of liberal arts. Here are these seemingly totally disparate dance and physics and writing and computer science, literature, uh, uh, anthropology, and yet, between the five of us, I think we all saw different ways that our subjects and the concept, in this case of beauty, connected with all the other ones and made it not disparate, but rather a whole. Each, all of us were a facet of a single idea. 
Yeah, now you're bordering on poetry. Are you? Uh... <laughs> That's called good rhetoric. A rhetorical <laughs> vision is here emerging. <laughs> so liberal yeah. arts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Did you study, by the way, did you study some rhetoric, Peter? In your physics studies? I, I, I know a little bit because I teach writing and mm -hmm. the people who are most closely involved with, with that writing course. So, but did you study, did you study rhetoric? I didn't study rhetoric. I have studied it in as much as like I, well, in the sense that there are aspects of rhetoric that I need to teach. So Kevin, you'll be happy to know that um, part of the high school, I, it's, I think I want to say it's 10, 11, 12 um, English curriculum in California is rhetoric and ethos, pathos and logos. Good, so, good. Yeah. And, and it's up to, I mean, it depends on where you're standing as to how, uh, effective that teaching is, but it's, it's in the curriculum. And it's a good aspiration that, that, that has some vision about it. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting in teaching writing those, those aspects of rhetoric in terms of logic and argument. Those are the things that I see students have the hardest time with. Yeah, I think that logic should be an explicit course um, almost by itself, but, but that's, I'm biased. I really liked the, I didn't take a logic course. I had to read a book on it from the, Oxford Press. <laughs> good thing you did. That's a good thing to focus on. Um, students are your target audience here to a significant extent, right? Yes. Um, is it premature for me to suggest something? No, go ahead. Go <laughs> ahead. They all quit listening 10 minutes ago. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> the floor is yours, Kevin. Take it away. Well, and I, it's not so much, the, but just, just, I would want to be encouraging to any student that whatever the pressures are that come at you and your desire to have later employment and to be really fine in your major field, take this other thing very seriously. If you're gonna do well with your own major field, your own discipline, whatever you're going into, the better you can relate it to the rest of life, potentially, the, the better you can help other people see the value of what it is you're doing. Certainly, the better it is that you can communicate with people from vastly different outlooks or with various sorts of limitations. A lot of this, the student has to go to the trouble to put it together himself or herself, and it can be significantly done. The student who engages well and who thinks, I want to have a sense of how the sciences have some genuine relationship to the humanities and those things to mathematics and those things, you know, to whatever else is out there is the, is the person who, who really does keep life more interesting, just like Peter was suggesting. And, and they have the ability to solve problems that other people don't. And they have the ability if they can get latched onto it to identify and live at least with some consistency with an improving vision of things. Well, also, I mean, that reminds me of like one of the things for say, engineer because I've been involved with engineering programs, not that I teach engineering, but rather they come through physics, is that employers want engineers that have good communication skills. Like this is one of the best markers of, of people who will excel in that field of engineering is being it's, able to. It's not enough to be a technical uh, master. Correct. Correct. If you want to, if you, as an engineer, I, I don't, I don't know if engineers work in cubicles really, but like if you want to just be a cubicle warrior and is an engineer and just do like a rote thing and like get your paycheck and be not engaged with your job and sort of just 
do that, be the I, assembly line worker of I, engineering. I don't, I don't even know if that's available anymore because so often now we're on teams of four, five, six, even that's, in engineering. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. So like being an awesome engineer and ha and getting a D in your English composition course and, you know, just barely passing your history course and not really paying attention to your sociology courses, something like, like that's going to mean that you're going to lose out. You're not going to be able to function in those groups as well, communicate to your boss or the customer as well. Like your ability to excel in that field which is highly technical and like this, the default is like the, the starting foundation is be an awesome engineer, but that's not enough to really excel and go somewhere because your job exists within a society and within a subculture of, of that particular, you know, field. And in helping fields. I mean, there's yeah. been, you know, decades of sort of recurring scandals on the incompetence of medical doctors to deal with their own patients like human beings. I was, I was with a relative of mine as he died when I was 13 years old in a hospital room and his main physician was a total social incompetent. And at 13 years old, I thought that is, that is one pitiful person. He cannot even figure out how to behave in a room with a family around a dying man. And, and that, that has, you know, stayed with me. It's like, he shouldn't have been allowed to get out of medical school without something more like some good liberal arts education. He needed, he needed help, not just in psychology, but probably in actually carrying on a, a normal human conversation. Well, Kevin, thank you for joining us. Thank that you was, for including that me. That was enlightening for me. Well, Drew as well, thank you. And you had some really excellent uh, questions directing us where to go. Yes. Well, it was excellent uh, hearing what you had to say, Kevin. Well, Drew, thank you very much, and it was good chatting with you. I guess that's it for this week. If you have a question for me, you can reach me on Twitter. I'm at Dr. Hyland, D-O-C-T-O-R-H-Y-L-A-N-D, or shoot me an email, peter.o.hyland, H-Y-L-A-N-D, at gmail.com. All right, see everybody next week. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs>